welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And today, the anatomy of a pro wrestling referee. Marty Elias returns to Talk is Jericho, and he's going to discuss uh, what it takes to be a great pro wrestling referee and to really make it in the business. He's got stories about those who trained and helped him along the way, how he finally made it to WWE, and why chemistry is so important in the ring with the guys that he's working with. That's why Marty was one of only a couple referees that I worked with in WWE. I always enjoyed being in the ring with him. He was always in the right place at the right time. And it's one of the reasons why Aubrey Edwards is basically my uh, personal referee in AEW. Chemistry is everything. Marty's got more details about Undertaker and Shawn Michaels' legendary match at WrestleMania 25. If you remember, he refed that match. We did a watch-along on Talk is Jericho a few years ago. Um, he's also talking about some of the bumps he's taken in the ring, both planned and not planned. He's telling stories about some of his favorite matches, including one between myself and Ricky Steamboat that took place in Tokyo. Uh, Marty's also working with Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling in Colorado. He's training refs and working with some of the younger talent, and he's getting back in the ring to ref matches for Lucha Libre, AAA Worldwide in Mexico. He's going to tell us uh, what he's doing for them. Great conversation with my old pal, Marty Elias, coming up. And we thank everybody who was a part of the Save the World Tour. Uh, we had so many great shows, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, 10,000 people actually came and saw Fozzie over the last few months. Uh, thanks to everyone who came to the show. Thanks to everyone who came to be a part of VIP. Thanks to our great opening bands, GFM, who were amazing. You heard them on Talks Jericho, Crash Karma, Nocturnal Affair, uh, Avery Schiff, our amazing, amazing tour manager, uh, Sam Abernathy, our front of house, David Sadeth, Joey Alejo, uh, so many great, great guys and so many great people that were there to put the Fozzie show on and to keep us up and running. Bink, the bus driver. Uh, so thanks to everyone who came and uh, saw us live. There will be more shows announced soon. And in the meantime, in between time, go check out Boombox, our new record that came out just a few weeks ago. And go check out the I Still Burn video, which just hit oh, a million views a couple days ago. Uh, and also, too, if you're looking for something to do in February, if you missed us three times before, don't forget about Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, the Four Leaf Clover, February 2nd, 2023, from Miami to Grand Great Stirrup K, our very own private island. Foz will be playing that as well. Uh, we're setting sail February 2nd. Like I said, we've got an amazing lineup of talent joining us on the ship. So come and experience the vacation of a lifetime. Book your cabin today at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Don't you dare miss it. And don't you dare miss the anatomy of a pro wrestling referee featuring my old friend Marty Elias right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so we were playing a show in Colorado Springs tonight, and I look in the front row. Who do I see but my old friend, Marty Elias, who now lives in Colorado. I thought for some reason that you lived in Denver. So when you're in the front row, because you didn't tell me you were coming, it was just like, what? I wanted to surprise you, you know, because you had texted me last week about the whiskey show. Right. Just to see if you were in town. I yeah. I didn't that yeah. you had moved out here. Yeah. So then I moved, you know, but but I had mentioned it to you or nothing like that. It was just kind of just stuff on the down low. But... I uh, was going to text you, and I said, you know what? I just want to surprise him, man, because I want to, I want to see his look from uh, the, you know, the stage. And uh, it was exactly what I wanted, man. It, it was like a holy shit moment. It was yeah, great. it's funny because the, the, I had that one time. We did a, a show in Nashville with Theory of a Dead Man. And um, I come down after the show into the dressing room, and who's sitting in there but Dave Mustaine. 
And I was like, what are you doing here? He goes, I just wanted to come and see you. I'm like, why didn't you text me? He goes, I just wanted to surprise you. I was like, did you see the show? He goes, no, I've just been down here. And it's like the weirdest, like, okay, what's up, yeah. dude? So what's up, dude? Dude, I'm doing great, man. I mean, I'm here in Colorado. I'm loving it. Um, I'm actually back in professional wrestling. You know, right. I worked my first match in four years, a couple weeks so ago. So you moved out here from L.A. to Colorado to, to train uh, not to train yourself, but to train people, to train wrestlers at a school out here? No, I actually moved out here just to get away from all the nonsense of what L.A. and California is, the high, high price of living, sure. gas, things of that nature. So I, I said, you know what? Uh, it's the second chapter of my life. You change the scenery is always good. And, uh, dude, it, it's been great, man. I've been having a great time, really enjoying but you life. found the wrestling company out here when you moved out here? Yes, I did. Actually, remember Dewey Larson? He was a production guy with us at WWE for yeah, a minute. Yeah, Dewey, yeah. Yeah, so he reached out to me because Todd Harris, who was a former uh, security guy, uh, still keeps in touch with him. So he reached out to me. He goes, you should get in touch with Dewey. So Dewey called me. We had a conversation for about two hours, and he told me to come check it out. I was kind of hesitant because I still hadn't really done any wrestling stuff. and uh, Yeah, because the last time you were on the show, we talked, we did the, the, the watch-along with Taker and yeah. Sean, WrestleMania. We talked about how the, your, your career or, or time at WWE ended, and then you took some time away from wrestling because you went and did a, a lot of the Hollywood stuff and, and behind-the-scenes music, there. Music, everything. Yeah. yeah. But now you're back to what you just said earlier, your passion of being involved in wrestling again. Yeah, yeah. and it was great because I went down there and – I started interacting with kids, and I and I watched a couple shows before I even, excuse me, before I even agreed to do anything. And I got to tell you, Chris, man, these kids at Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling and that whole promotion have really reignited my passion for professional wrestling. You know, you know, I'm smiling is because one of my first companies in Calgary it was called Rocky Mountain Pro. Wow, I think like ninety ninety one. That's great. Uh, so that was the Canadian chapter of the. Uh, RMP uh, yeah, dynasty. Yeah, that's exactly what they are, <laughs> RMP, man. So I'm currently helping out with uh, putting matches together. Uh, I'm training because they're actually affiliated with the Snow Wrestling Academy. I train on Monday nights, and we do our Ignition live tapings, which go live on Twitch every Tuesday at 6.15. So I'm helping behind the scenes as well. And So who are some of the top guys in the uh, 2022 version of Rocky Mountain Pro? Uh, the, the, there's a very good kid. His name is Damon Ace, man. Keep your eye out on this kid. This kid is really good. Uh, really like him. There, there's a gal there by the name of uh, Reagan Grimes who is really good as well. You know, keep your eye out on them. Lilith Grimm is another one. You know, but those are the, the three that really stand out to me and really just I, I took a shine to, you know, because doing this for as long as we've done, you know, you know when somebody has it. And, you know, when you see them in the ring, they just have like this natural ability and stuff. So you can just kind of fine tune it and, and teach them and then move them to the next level, so to speak. Gotcha. So yeah. Those are the three. So when you say that you're training and like we said, one, one of the, the best refs that I've ever worked with and also been around the world refereeing. So are you training wrestlers? Or are you training referees or both? Uh, both, both, all of the above, you know, um, I'm training referees specifically and I'm doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one with them. Because I, I want them to learn the basics, you know, because as, as a good referee, you really need to know the basics of being a professional referee. Interesting. Oh, be, be learning the basics of being a professional wrestler? 
or being the basis of being a professional referee. Referee, you know, gotcha. because there's a difference because you can learn basics to be a professional wrestler, but there's a difference in becoming a professional wrestling referee because sure. it, it, it's a different mindset and, and it's a different um, feeling in the ring. And what I mean by that is that you, you need to go in there with a different mentality because you're not one of the boys and it's not about you. It's about having that basic foundation of how to be there but not be there and be a good referee so you're not in the way, you're not getting in the way when a particular spot needs to happen. But most importantly, you need to learn how to communicate. And what I mean by that is you need to communicate what Gorilla is telling you to communicate to the boys, and you need to help the boys communicate with spots, time cues, where they're at and stuff. And I really think that today that that's a lost art form, and that's why going to Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling and showing these referees, I want to teach them from ground zero. This is how you start, and this is how you learn. So there's well, one. A, a couple, a couple things to, sure. to discuss there. So you mentioned something that's very interesting to me, and we can discuss, is that you said that you're not one of the boys. And it's interesting because refs aren't one of the boys, but they are kind of like the boys part two. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Like, like we've hung out before. You go out after the show. You're in the ring working together, but you're not one of the boys. Is it strange kind of to be in that purgatory? Yeah, it is because there's a fine line a lot of times, especially when you're starting out. There's a fine line because – when you start out like that as a fresh referee and new and you really don't know the ins and outs of being with the veteran in the ring with the veteran and stuff, you're really not one of the boys until you've actually earned the respect of the boys like yourself and others. You know, so do I consider myself one of the boys? Absolutely. Was I? There was a fine line when I first started where I felt I wasn't because I hadn't achieved that respect and I hadn't earned that, so to speak. So... Once I got to the next level and I was able to work with guys like yourself and, and, and work at WWE and AAA and Japan and stuff, that's when I really felt that I was one of the boys because I had earned that and I had worked my ass off for it. Now, what about this, though? Because I remember times specifically, and I think you were actually even one of the guys that would have to do this. They station you guys at the front door to document when the, when the boys are coming to the arena to make sure that you're on time, right? Were you one of those guys? Yeah, so yeah. So how, how does that work for you when, like, now you have to be a stooge with the, your friends? It's, it's, it's a weird place that you it, get put it, in. It, it's a very weird dynamic to be put into, and that's what we called it. We called it stooge duty because it was actually check-in, <laughs> call time, check-in. Right. But we called it stooge duty. Yeah, 2 p.m., you know. So, Right. Uh, it was different for West Coast, Midwest, and you know, but it was stooge duty, and, and that was really difficult because when somebody was late, we we had to let the office know, so to speak. And when they were late, they got fined two hundred and fifty dollars. So that was the worst part of it that you had to stooge somebody, and they got <laughs> reprimanded, and they had to pay two hundred fifty bucks. So that was always a weird situation. Well, because it's also too is like this is what you're paid to do. So yes. if you if you let the guy slide, you could get in trouble. Yes, absolutely. Were the guys that got mad at you for stooging, stooge me off, man. Oh, there was a few, man. There was a few that got upset with me. I won't mention any names, but there was a few of them who got upset me. And I even offered to at least pay it or pay half because I felt so bad because yeah. you don't do that to the boys, you know. But again, that's but an it's your job. Thing. I know, it's my job. But again, 
going back to being one of the boys, that, that, that's not something to, that you do. But again, I was put in that situation where it was my job and I had to do it, unfortunately. So did I have to do it? Yes. Did I want to do it? No. Gotcha. It's interesting, too, because like you're part of the team of the match. And once again, going back to our um, watch along with Taker and Sean, I mean, you're, you're part of that team. You know, and, and yes. you have to do your part. And I remember even when in Mexico uh, in the early 90s, if you had a really great match afterwards, they would throw money into the ring. And I specifically remember one time, it was, I think it was me and Negro and Dandy and, and, and Ultimo Dragon. And they start throwing the money in the ring and, and Negro had the cup and he's like holding the cup up and they throw the money all in. You put it in the beer cup, you count it out and you don't split it four ways that night. You split it five with the ref yeah, because he's part of the team. Absolutely. So like I said, you are part of the boys just not taking bumps sometimes you do but you know my point yes absolutely and and you know it's great because you mentioned mexico i actually start with triple a lucha libra on may 1st nice yeah so i'm i'm going back to work with uh that's great a, a big company so i'm really excited about that a full time or just going in for a bit or? Uh, i'm going in to see how it works i'm going to go in and start doing tvs and pay-per-views at first and then you know as dorian and i discussed we're going to move forward from there, but I'm really excited for the opportunity to get back into the game, so to speak. So let's kind of go back to the beginning. We've been through your career before, but so what do you do? uh, First of all, as a ref, when when was your first gig as a ref? It was Parker, Arizona. I believe my first referee is 1998. And I got a bag of popcorn for it, and it was for Jesse Hernandez motion. <laughs> and it, it, it was something, you know, because I had been training as a referee off the side because I was training to wrestle. Right, because that's just to interject quickly, most referees back in the early days when I started were wrestlers that were too small or just didn't do it. Yeah. Now people actually train to be referees. Yes. Gotcha. So yeah. Go ahead. So so I, I was training to wrestle because I, I again I wanted to know how to do this and I wanted to do it the right way. But then one time I had an epiphany. I looked in the mirror. I said, "What can I really do to contribute to the business?" And I went, "Oh, I can be a great referee." And I focused all my attention and energy and stuff, and I started working towards that. And when I started, I would actually have guys do mock matches for me so I could get in and I could work with them. And then I, I would have Jesse critique me and then I would have Bill Anderson critique me. But it was a very slow process. It wasn't something that just happened overnight because when, when I look back at it, I mean, I was as green as they can, you could ever be because nobody was really teaching referees how to be referees there because it was like just going and put on a striped shirt and away you go and figure it out yeah count to three right yeah, yeah count to three but but there's a lot more to it there's a lot more to positioning being there time cues you know and then you know like you said behind the scenes you know we got to set up the ring we got to set up chairs i mean well back then we did but wwe uh, lucha underground things of that nature it was all about setting up the ring being a part of production um, helping out the boys with their stuff. And, uh, you know, so th- th- there was a lot of different intricacies that, that go into being a referee. So, so, right. So so when you were working the Indies, how long was it until you got to WWE? A couple of years? Um, no, it was probably, let me see, first time I ever got looked at WWE was 2001. It was probably about three years. Okay. So when you go to WWE now, and this is the big thing, so tell me kind of what what was expected of you in the company and what were the major differences, like you said, about working in indies and, and, and then working 
on TV in the biggest company. Working with indies, one of the biggest things is there, there isn't the major production, TV, time cues, things of that nature. It, pretty much indies, you know, you go out and you do what you do. So you, you really didn't know about time cues. Right. You really didn't know about communicating to yeah, the boys. Yeah, right. So there, there's, there's a lot of these things you didn't. And then there was no hard cameras. So you really didn't know how to work the hard camera, the horseshoe. And then you, you, you didn't know how to do certain things. And what I mean by that is like count cadence, you know. Up at what does WWE. that mean? So uh, most referees, and myself included, my, my counts were very, very fast. And one of the things that Earl Hebner taught me when I got there or mentioned to me is that my count cadence was too fast. And he even told me after my first dark match when I came back, he was up in Gorilla, and he looked at me, and he goes, your counts are too damn fast, and he walked away. But he didn't say, this is how you fix it, this is what you do. Later on in catering, I seen him, he said, your cadence is too fast, slow it down. So, oh, okay. Okay, so I have been wrestling 31 and a half years, and I was this many days old when I first heard the term count cadence. That's why I wanted to do this show. Like, I don't have a clue. I mean, obviously, you know, I've been a referee, guest referee a few times, but you feel so self-conscious like and i'm trying to get out of the way and i don't yeah. know what to do and it's it's not it's not and easy then you got somebody giving you a time cue and, and you're trying right, to stay yeah. out of the way we'll get to that so anyway so count cadence was one so what you're saying is that the indie count cadence was faster very very but fast. WWE wants it more dramatic maybe is that the term Dr- more dramatic and, and and very you know timing is everything and take your time you know it, it, it goes back to that thing taking your time because the last thing that you want to do is, back then what I learned, is, is you don't want to give away a finish with the fast, fast one, two, three. Uh-huh. You know, because when you do that, you'll, you'll give away a finish. Or if your count is one, two, if it isn't just a one, two, and it gives guys enough time to kick out, it gives time to, to listen to a time cue or something that, that I need to give. So that time cadence is very important when you're giving a count. And... I like to give, you know, when we did the watch along, my cadence there were probably the best that they ever were because the timing was just so on cue. And I I look back in that and when everybody asks me, you know, when I speak about, you know, cadence and things of that nature, I go, go back and look at WrestleMania 25 on those counts. That was cadence at its finest. So let's say, for example, you know, let's say you're, you're refing my match and I tell you the finish is the Judas effect. First one, yeah, only one. People want to kick out at the very last millisecond. Mm-hmm. Is there ever any pressure on you? Like, holy, he's not going to kick out. Oh, what do I do? Like, has there been times when you've screwed up a finish because you counted the three? Uh, is there times where it's like, come on, dude, you got to count. You got to kick out quicker than that. It's too much. Because people kid, know it's not real. Yeah, if you don't hit yeah. the three, you're stopping, right? Yeah. Uh, on the indies, I, 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 and, and I can say this my whole career, I've only messed up one finish. And it was with Jimmy Yang and Daniel Bryanson at P- PWG in 2004. What happened? They switched the finish and didn't tell me. Oh. So, it's kind of something you should probably tell the ref. Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so uh, they, they switched it up, and, and that was the only time that, that, that I ever had that issue. But for the most part, and Kyoto, Mike Kyoto taught me this, is that whenever in doubt, let the boys know. Kick. kick. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and, and the reason you do that is because – the boys are bumping, they're, they're, they're spinning, they're dropping, they're getting dropped on their head, things of that nature, big false finish. 
somebody could be a little loopy or something like that. So, you know, it doesn't hurt to remind them when, especially in between the cadence, one, two, kick out, kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there you go. So, yeah, yeah, you know. You're kind of protecting yourself. And and them. And him, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and them. So. That's very interesting because I remember, like, like you said, changing a finish. But you got to let the referee know. I remember, Absolutely. I think it was Charles Robinson that I might have been in when I was working with Steamboat and we were in Greenville, South Carolina. People were just going f- bananas for him. I mean, that's one of his, might yeah. even be his hometown for all I know, but it was one of his places. Yeah. I think he's from Hawaii, so no. But you know what I mean? It was one of his hometown WCW, NWA stalwarts. And we went there and they were just going bananas for him. And I was like, I can't, I can't go over on him. It's a Sunday afternoon. So I told, I told Charles, uh, I gave him the code breaker. I said, kick out. And I said to Charles, he's kicking out. But I'm saying it to him. He's kicking out one. He's kicking out two. He's kicking out. And he kicked out. But I'm giving, I said it three times just to make sure. He's kicking out. He's kicking out. He's kicking out. Just so they make sure that he heard it. Yes. And then I picked Steamboat up and I said, WrestleMania three finish. I couldn't even remember what, what it was called. I did you pick my first slam? Just roll me up. Roll through, I couldn't yeah. think roll up. I couldn't remember the word. I just said, WrestleMania three finish. And he rolled me up, and I said, this is it, Charles. Count to three. Count to three, two. Count to three, three. Making sure that we're on the – because, you know, I don't want anybody to get like, I didn't know if it was real or yeah, not. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and you know, th- th- that's why it's very important for a referee to always listen. Yeah. Not, not only to the crowd, but listen to the time cues that you're be- being given from Gorilla, but listen to the boys in the match. You know, if, if they're shooting somebody off or they're calling a spot or they grab a hold, where are we at? And sometimes the boys forget where they're at, sure. you know, so you, you got to kind of remind them because that's why as a referee, I like listening to the match. I, I just don't want to know the intricate details because at this point for me, I like to just know the finish and everything else. I like to go do Shakespeare and do it off the feel of the crowd, you know. Right. But in the very beginning, I would listen to the match and I would visually see the match in my head. So I would know where to be. So whenever shoulders were going down or somebody was getting uh, bumped or whatever, I knew where to be positioning-wise. So shoulders were there. So as soon as they came and bumped and landed, I knew where to be. So I was able to count a one, two, and then they'd kick out. But I always envision the match inside my head. It sounds kind of weird, but that was something that I did for myself so I would know where to be and positioning-wise as well. And that's helped me out through my career this whole time. Well, it's interesting if if, you've, if anybody's ever noticed in AEW that I exclusively work with Aubrey Edwards. Yes. She's my ref. Uh, and I started that because right before the match that I had with Hangman for the title way back in 19, I saw her and I said, she looks great. Like, and meaning she looks like a pro. She's fairly green, but she's got a presence to her. I think it's time. I think it'd be very cool for have, have a woman in the very first men's heavyweight championship match. Now WWE has three or four women yeah, refs, but this was a big deal. And she did a great job. And I said, okay, I like the other refs, but I like working with Aubrey. We know each other's cadence. Yes. We know, you know, if she does something wrong, I'll tell her. There's a chemistry. There's a chemistry. There's you a chemistry. and I had it. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Charles and I had it. Like in WWE, if I wasn't working with Marty Elias or Mike Kyoto or Charles Robinson, those are the three. And okay. once in a while you get Chad, Pat, yeah. who's good. But the, the other, it was always usually Charles or Marty. Yeah. Those are the guys I felt most comfortable with. Absolutely. What makes a good ref? What do you have to do to be a good pro wrestling referee? And I have a couple things in my head, but I want to hear what you have to say first. For me personally, and this is my humble opinion, you you need to be a great listener. 
You need to be a great listener. Because during the match, in the ring? During the match, before the match. And because if you're not listening to what is being said or what what's happening within the match, because when they're put, the boys are putting matches together with the, the agent or whomever, even if you're not involved or you don't have a spot, it's always good just to listen to the match and just to have an idea of where the match is going and what's going to occur. But for me personally, it's, it, it's being a great listener because if something needs to change on the fly, which it always does, then you're able to modify what you're doing and stuff. Uh, positioning is very important, yeah. very, very important. Not to be in the way, uh, be there for particular spots, be there for big false finishes. Um, and the other thing, too, is you're, you're selling. And what I mean by that is your selling needs to be according to what's happening in the match. For your reactions? My reactions. Yeah. My reactions. Not being overanimated. Selling correctly. So sometimes when, when, when I see stuff happen, like, like somebody will get punched. And there's some referees who I won't mention. It's been time and time again. But sometimes I see things where people are getting punched and people are like selling it like they got punched. And what I like to explain to people and when I train is that if you were ever in a bar and you see somebody get in a fight or you see somebody go up and hit somebody, it's kind of like, a, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the sell. Yeah. It's not over the top and, oh, my God, I got hit too. It's more of a, oh, shit, mm. that's the sell. And what I mean by that is that you're not the one taking the punch. You're the one who's witnessing the punch. So witness the punch accordingly. If it was a big punch knockout, oh, shit one of those but if it's a punch ooh that mm. must have hurt mm. so those are the two difference in, but in you examples. almost have to be like a billboard for the match you have to yes. sell it the one that popped in my head when we were talking was when there was a big show in Brock or somebody where the ring, where the ring broke yeah Kyoto was in that match and, yeah. and, and the reaction of Kyoto like the ring blew up yeah you better have a crazy reaction for that yeah right? you better be jumping That's out of your shoes you man get, like yeah. oh my god yeah. Whereas yeah, that's other, big sell, big sell. Big sell. Well, sometimes other times someone will take a body slam and you'll see the ref go like, oh, that's yeah. too much. Too much. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so selling is something that's very important too. And whether it be your body language, whether it be your facials, whether it be animated, whether it be your counts in the corner, a five count or whatever, those are the things that are very important too that, that people don't realize that Again, you need to have a cadence and you need to do it accordingly to what's happening in the ring and not overselling what the boys are doing or what the match is doing. Because when you do that, there's a tendency to take away from the match because the story's not about the referee. The story's about Chris Jericho in, in his match. You know, that's very interesting because I always say the best referees are the ones that you never notice. Yes. You don't notice them in the match. They are there for everything. They're not in the way of anything. Never. Because I've had some really bad... Like, I don't mind screwing up in the ring. Yeah. If my opponent screws it up happens. in the ring. But I have... And it, listen, it's different now with your refs or your friends. But back in the old days, if a referee f***ed up my match, 
I'd be furious. Absolutely. You know, you got you stay out of my way or whatever it be. And there was time. I remember I got in a fight with a, a fist fight with a referee in Mexico. <laughs> I screwed up my match. In Montreal, the very first time I ever worked for, for WCW in Canada, Jeff Jarrett, some French guy, he f***ed up the match. It's the worst ever because once you lose, once the crowd sees the boom mic in the shot, you can't get them back. You can't. And if I didn't do it, or if my opponent didn't do it, but the ref did it, to me, that's unacceptable. It's yeah. a lot of pressure on you guys. Yeah, and, and the thing is, too, when, when you f*** up a match, especially on live TV, your credibility can go out the window so very fast, especially when I first started, when you first started. If referees were that bad, they weren't going to be on TV. Long, right, 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 right. I mean, th- they were gone. You never seen them again. And there was a couple, there was one ref in particular that I said, I don't ever want to work with this guy again, and he shouldn't be here anymore. And he did get sent down the ranks. Yeah. And, you know, deservingly so with, with some of them. Because you can't take the chance. You said this is national TV live. You can't, you can't be an amateur, man. You, you can't. You can't handle both feet in the fire, then go back and train some more. That was absolutely. my point. I didn't want him to lose his job. I just said he needs to train more. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, th- that's the thing. If you're training as a referee, train as much as you can. Watch all the footage you can. Ask all the questions you can because you never stop learning and growing ever ever in this business man and i continue to learn as i'm training these kids at rocky mountain pro wrestling and there's things that i'm doing that i go oh man why did i do that or i should do this instead you know so i really love going back and learning and teaching referees because it's like i'm i'm learning all over again right but i have this wisdom and experience now that i can go back and go okay this is how I did it when I first started. This is where I'm at today. And this is what I suggest now because I, I can talk about it intelligently now with the experience that, that I have, you know, and it's not something that I'm talking out of my ass. I mean, I, I've done some pretty cool stuff and I've mm-hmm. worked, and I've had a pretty long career refereeing. So training today is a different animal than it was back then because, as you know, that once we got in the ring and we were training, if we did something that wasn't up to par or whatever, they told us to get the fuck out of the ring, right, right. you know, and, and they never broke anything down or, you know, somebody would come up with a heater and go, that was up, but they never explained what was, right. you know, so today being able to break it down and, and you know who taught me how to really coach today and break stuff down was Chavo Guerrero. Hmm. I watched Chavo religiously as he was teaching these actors. Chavo Sr. or Junior? Junior. Gotcha. I was watching Chavo how he broke down wrestling to actresses and singers who had zero experience. Chavo in Glow. Glow. Right. On Netflix. So watching Chavo train these women and these girls on how to do professional wrestling and the way he coached them, the way he broke it down and really just was so eye-opening to me. So now... I use that Chavo Guerrero approach when I'm training people now is that I like to break things down because I'll tell you you're the shits. I really will. I'll be honest with you. And, and the reason I'm brutally honest with people is because I tell them, A, if I lie to you, you're never going to learn. Yeah. B, if I don't tell you what's happening, then you're going to continue to have bad habits and make mistakes. And see if I don't help you and train you correctly, then our business suffers. 
you know, so Makes you're going to continue to go and do stuff that is not going to benefit our business and you're not going to be any better for it. So I have a couple questions about sure. when you got to WWE. You mentioned Earl Hebner talked with Count Canes. Yeah. Were some of the refs helping you out, giving you advice? Like, yeah, like, like, yeah, tremendously. Timmy White. Timmy oh, White was guy. so good what to me. What a great me. ref. Oh, yeah. and such a good dude behind the yes. scenes too, yes, man. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, really? Mike Kyoto helped me out tremendously. You know, when, when I got there, of course, I had uh, the developmental deal and I had the free runner car and free rooms. Oh, kid, I, oh, kid I'm riding with you, kid. You know, which was that, great. That's, let me just explain. Like when you, have a, when you have a developmental deal, you get your cars and rooms paid for. But when you get signed to real contracts, like see you later, buddy. Yep. Get, make your own reservations. Absolutely. Right. So, uh, you know, it, but it was great though because... Kyoto riding with me at that time was really helpful and, and it really taught me a lot because he had already been there for 20 years by that time, maybe 19. And riding with him, you know, 300 miles after a show and stuff and just talking the business and, you know, he would say, oh, you should have done this or, you know, try this next time or tonight when we do this show, you know, move like this. And, you know, you can't. So, so he taught me a lot about again, cadence and about positioning and about, and it's good to have older guys like that who have the experience and I'm one of them now today, which I got no problem. But when you're coming up in the business, always learn from somebody who's has that experience and who's been there and who's done something because those are the best coaches and trainers. So when you start in WWE, I'm assuming like you're not, you're working opening matches or whatever. What was your big break as a referee in WWE? Was there a certain moment where like you did something really good and they were like, okay, we could trust him now to start doing main events, for example? I I had my aha moment at WWE. I call it an aha moment, and it was with Ricky Steamboat. Oh wow! And you and I work with Steamboat. Yeah, you know because you guys wanted me for your match. This is when Ricky came back around WrestleMania 2008 or nine, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, because he was an agent, but he, he was, was doing the special yeah. referees. But he, but he did such a good job that Vince made him special referees and put yes. him in the ring. He was kind of a player coach. Yeah, so we were working a loop, and it was John Cena in Omaga, and I'll never forget this. And I and I seen Steamboat a few weeks ago, and I reminded him about this. And I'll tell this story so referees can learn. It's timing. Our business is timing. Everything is timing. And Steamboat taught me timing. And we were running a loop, and Steamboat was a special referee. And there was a spot where he got bumped by Omaga. And then a second referee was supposed to come in, do a one, two, and then Steamboat was supposed to catch his arm. So there was different referees (laughs) on that loop. And they had tried those guys. So finally, on the third night, Steamboat goes, let's try you, Marty. You know, because I was like the third and final guy. So Steamboat and I, before the house show, got there early. And I, I was counting. And we did this for maybe two hours before the show. I was literally one, two, and he would catch my arm. One, two, he would catch my arm. And we did this for two hours, Chris. So... The match happens, the spot happens, and I come running in, and I go, and one, two, and Steamboat's 
right there dude to catch me man the timing the pop i mean the crowd just went because you were gonna count umaga as the yes. winner but then steamboat's like no yes yeah. and he catches me he's selling mind you and he comes up and he catches me taker like and he grabs my wrist and he stops to count and the crowd just goes "Ooh," you know and it was like huh yeah you know it was one of those things okay it's about timing and you know when you learn timing as far as Again, count cadence, counts in the corner, positioning, moving accordingly, uh, being animated. It's very, very important because when you do these things correctly, it enhances the match. Because here's the thing, Chris, as a great referee, you need to be able to enhance the match, not take away from it. You never want to take away from the match. You always want to enhance it or add to it, you know, in... A great example of that is at WrestleMania 25, when I did my counts, when Taker after the dive, those that, that count was a shoot count. This is when Taker went for the dive and yes. didn't get caught. He almost landed. Well, he did land on his head, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that count was a shoot count. And as I've said in the past, the only instruction that I ever got out of that match was from Taker. He says, if I don't get back in, you shoot count me out. And we came very, very close to counting them out. But if you go back and look at that, I was drawing my counts out, and I was drawing 74,000 people in with my counts, and I took my time because I was still selling because they had bumped me earlier. So I was still selling that, but at the same time, I was still dramatizing it, and I was elongating that count. So I was getting the people behind me, and I was looking at Taker, and Taker and I didn't, make eye contact until nine so that streak oh, this is a 10 almost, count yeah this is a 10 count so that streak almost ended at wrestlemania 25 on a count out well he was literally up to he you, was though, right? he, he was concussed he had a broken collarbone he broke his ring finger so yeah he was he pretty broke up. from that yeah well i didn't know that yeah he was so up. let me ask you this sure. and, and once again very important match and, and and still in my opinion the greatest match of all time which is why Thank we watched you. it and that taker told you count me out would Vince have backed Taker up, or would he have been mad at you? I'm sure I would have got all the heat. <laughs> but again, I was doing what Taker was telling yeah, me to I do. Yeah, I think Taker would have protected you for sure on that. Yeah, yeah. That must be terrifying, though, dude, because like we say in rock and roll, once the train leaves the station, once the song starts, if a guitar breaks or the track goes out or the video goes you got to finish the damn you race. You sure do. So once you start that count, you're like, dude, if you don't get in, you must have been kind of terrified. I, I was. But the adrenaline and just, you know, you were there, 74,000 people yep. on their feet, man. I mean, you know, there's no bigger, higher rush in the world, man. And for him to tell me that, I knew I had permission that it was going to be okay, yeah. regardless of what happened. So, Because that was also kind of the rule in WWE. I think it probably still is that if someone doesn't kick out, you count to three. Absolutely. If someone doesn't make in the ring, you count to ten. Absolutely, and it's great because I have a, a great story with Trevor Murdoch and the Hardys about not kicking out. Well, let's hear it. So we, we were doing a, a loop, and the Hardys had just got their titles, and they had just come back as the Hardys, so they were running an angle with Cade Murdoch, 2008, very first house show. Uh, they're the third match. We get in. Trevor Jeff goes up on Trevor's shoulders, rolls through. Mind you, this is three or four minutes into the match. Trevor goes up, rolls through. One, two, three. Hardy's win. Boom. Hardy's music plays, give him the titles. 
Caden Murdoch were pissed, man. They started throwing chairs at me. They started throwing shit at me, telling me they're going to kill me. So we get to the back, and Arn Anderson was the agent with Steamboat. And Arn looks at me, and he goes, what the fuck happened? I go, I counted three. No, he didn't. He fucked us, Arn. We're going to get him. And I said, I counted three, Trevor. So everybody leaves. Arn has me, Trevor, Lance, stay. And remember back in the day when they would videotape and everybody would watch the monitor? Yeah, 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 yeah. So Arn goes, well, we're going to watch and see what happened. So he rewinds it to the match. We watch it. Okay, match goes. We're going into the spot. Jeff rolls through. One, two, three. Arn stops it, gets up out of his chair, looks at me, and goes, Marty, you can leave. Trevor, you didn't kick out. Bye. <laughs> you're doing what you're told. Doing Once what again. you're told, man. Let's talk about the dreaded ref bump. You mentioned they took one with Undertaker and, and, and Sean. Give me a little bit of details. What's a good ref bump? What's the worst ref bump you've ever took as far as one that was stiff and one that was just like the one I always hate is you pick a guy up on your shoulders and you spin around and the ref takes the boot in the face and falls. Like, oh, come on. Right? Yeah. 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 I used to do that spinning one with Ray Mysterio a lot. Oh. I mean, Ray Ray's. <laughs> well, Ray probably did. made it look great. Oh, and, Most and, guys and, and like he's sloths. easy. He doesn't kill you with it either, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Ray Ray was always good with so what's that. So the, what's the worst bump you took as far as, as, as the hokiest? Oh, God, the worst bump I ever took was on an indie show. Uh, I got a stinger. I oh. got a stinger, and I was paralyzed for three minutes. Oh, well, I was thinking from a, a jokey standpoint. This, this is a shoot. This what is happened? a shoot, yeah, what 2003. Kind of, what kind of a bump was it? Uh, it, it was a bump where a guy was going to dive out of a cage. He was supposed to land on the manager. The manager pussied out, left me there. Oh, so the guy came diving out. I, I didn't know that he was going to be bumping on me, so he bumped on me. And literally gave me a stinger for three for it was 2003. I'll never forget it. A stinger for three minutes. And of course, you want to be superhero and oh, I'm good. Just ice it and stuff. So I went to the doctor, the ER three days later, and I had a bruised uh, spinal cord. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's paralyzed. Yeah. Yeah. So you par- yeah paralyzed. My neck is still f-ed up from it to this wow. day. You know, one of the stiffest is was our match. Uh, Unforgiven. Uh, the unsanctioned match when Sean gave me the super kick. Me and Sean. Oh, that's right. Sean super kick. Yeah. So Sean is out of his mind. He's beating the hell out of me. Yes. And then ref takes one too. Super kicked you. Super kicked me. But I earned that one because earlier in the day he goes, he goes, hey kid, uh, you want to take a kick? I was like, sure. Pay per view, man. Why not? So he's all right. Cool. He's like, we'll fill it out there. I'm like, all right. So he's walking away. My mistake. I said, hey, Sean. He goes, yeah. I said, don't be a pussy with it. And I walked away. And uh, he caught me pretty good. And there's a photo of it. And, dude, I didn't protect myself, nothing. Hands were down to the side, man. He just, boom. He felt it, and I felt it. So so, so that was probably the stiffest, you know, because I seen stars and, you know, I cut my teeth and, you know, loosen my teeth. I had to go to the dentist when I got home and stuff. But, you know, it, it was worth it, man. Was there ever a bump that you took that was just plain, like, bad? Like, you're out of position or, like, like you like you, you bumped too early? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God, UPW. It was uh, Frankie Kazarian and Nova. They were Evolution. This is 99, I want to say, 2000, UPW, Rick Bassman. 
uh, Edge and Christian came in as a uh, special guest and stuff. So the finish was that Edge was going to give me a spear. And when he went to set up for the spear, Nova had taken me to the outside. So here's Adam setting up for the spear. And as Adam turns and he's feeding in for it, I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere there, dude. <laughs> so Adam looks at me, literally grabs me, puts me in position, turns me around, and spears me. <laughs> and as the one, two, three is going down, Mike Bucci, Nova, he's looking up at me and goes, somebody was out of position. Somebody was out of position. Yeah. Was there certain guys that you like to work with that, that you just had great chemistry with? Because like we said, how important that is. Yeah, right. you. Yeah. Yeah, we always do. Sean. Yeah. Taker. I think for Eddie. Sean and I, you were our ref pretty much every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, man. You know, yeah. and, and it was great because you would ask me personally, man. And, and that's what a lot of people really just, when I tell these stories that people go, really? And I go, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and again, that goes back to earning the respect. Yeah. And that goes back to earning your place because you're comfortable with me. You know that I'm not going to fuck up. You know that I'm going to be there for you. Right. And you can trust me. Yes. You know, and that's very, very important. I heard an interview that Undertaker gave to People Magazine recently, and they were asking him about WrestleMania 25. And this was probably one of the greatest compliments I ever could have got, dude. Not by him telling me this, but what he said. He says that there were three people in that ring that he could trust and he could be the undertaker. And I was like, wow. Oh, that's cool. I was like, wow, man, I was one of those guys. Indirectly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. It's that, interesting, that too. Good. Like I mentioned Aubrey again, I can't say enough about her because, you know, there's, like you said, there's a chemistry there and they, they don't even ask. It's like Aubrey is with Jericho. That's just the way it is. I work with the Young Bucks, yeah. but me and Max against the Young Bucks and the Young Bucks have Rick Knox all the time. Yeah. And I was like, eh, it's, I'm taking Aubrey. It's Aubrey still. Yeah. And and it must be good for you to know that you had that trust from the from some of the guys and girls. And probably for me it's like I don't have to worry about anything. And like I said, all the referees in currently AW are good. But because I haven't worked with them a lot, you don't know what the cadence is. Like yeah. like you you know this rule. Aubrey knows it, Charles knows it, Red Shoes in New Japan knows it. I fucking hate double counts, double down counts, you know. So and anybody who's listening, anybody who I've trained, this is why I don't do f***ing double down counts. <laughs> Tell them the reason why. What's my mindset, Marty? So this double down count was something that we did because when you're doing that, you're, you're, you're not giving them enough time to sell, okay? And you want to draw it out. You want to draw in the audience, you know? And, and, and I'll let you take it from there. But that's, that's my rule, right? Yes. The reason why I don't like them is because in the double down, what we're saying is if, you know, we do a big false finish and both guys are selling and you're down. Mm -hmm. And the idea in the rules of wrestling, if both guys are down, you count to 10 and whoever doesn't answer the 10 count like boxing loses. The bell yes, rings. Yes. The problem I have with double downs is that when you're counting no one's paying attention to the guys in the ring. All they're doing is counting along because it's fun to count. One, yes. two, three, four. That's not what a double down is about. No. 
A double down is to show the drama yes. and the selling of what just happened. So if my referee doesn't work with me on that, you're killing my gig, man. Absolutely. So you got to be watching and you, and you got to do what you, you got to move. So what I tell kids when I'm training them is that when you have a double down, that you're dramatizing everything. And what I like to do and what I train is that I like to go check on guys. Exactly. I like as to go. As you would. Yes. As, in, in, in boxing, in, if some dude gets knocked down, yes, the start, MMA, looks, you would do the sees. same thing. And, and you know, Chris, it's great you say boxing because my referee style, I watched a lot of boxing when I was younger, and I always loved Mills Lane, Judge Mills oh, Lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I took a lot of like his authoritative stuff, and I incorporated that into Marty Elias. So I incorporated Judge Mills Lane in his aggressiveness, so to speak, when he had to be aggressive, to being a professional re referee. And again, going back to the counts, I tell people you need to dramatize that. You need to check on one guy, then go back and check on the other, and maybe he needs to relay a message to the other guy. Yeah. Maybe you need to give a time cue. Maybe we, we need to figure out where we're going to go to dinner afterwards which <laughs> look, we at did the a lot. look at the chick in the front row <laughs> yeah and you know so you dramatize that and you go back and then you get up should i count no i'm gonna go back and check on this guy yeah so you go back but by and then the, by then the guys should be moving yes. enough to where they wouldn't yeah be and, and you're but starting just, to come up you just answered that perfectly because that adds to the drama of, 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 of the story that we're telling absolutely and, and it's, and all, the, it's yeah. all about telling the story and yeah. that's what a lot of these kids don't get today it's about telling the story, man. It's another little thing, too, that, that all my refs know. Um, if I ever do, let's say, you know, I do a lot of transitions into the walls of Jericho. And, you know, a good one, for example, is you throw the knee and I jump over you and kind of catch you in a small package. Or, sorry, catch you in a schoolboy and then stand up, grab the legs and turn you. All my refs know, don't count one. When you got that schoolboy... If you hit the one and I give up on my own to grab his legs to determine the walls, that makes me look stupid. Gotcha. It's like I had him pinned. You should have pinned him. You could have. Why are you trying yeah. to do this fancy thing when you had him for the one? So I always make sure, please don't count. And everyone that I work with knows that. But that's another little thing to me is if the ref counts to one, which you should if I don't tell mm -hmm. you, then I'm the idiot for letting go of this chance of victory. Yeah, and, and, and like working with you guys at your level – was always very educated and interesting because it was always an education. And again, going back to the double downs, going back to little things, what you just said with, you know, getting people in that, not counting the shoulder right. as you're pivoting, as you're turning in, um, little things that, that you did, you know, even when you were putting heat to the, to the heel in the corner, whatever, there was always a certain, um, uh, respect that I had for you because I never wanted to take your heat away because always it was always about putting your heat to, to somebody right. and if I went in there with the count and I started counting one, two, three, four, five then that doesn't give you the opportunity to, to, to put the heat and it doesn't give the baby face enough time to sell correctly. Mm. And it doesn't give the audience enough time to absorb what you just did. Mm. Right, right, right. Because I'm taken away with one, two, three. Right. And yeah. there's not enough time yeah. to, to let people register what you're doing as a heel. 
see, and that's called working. <laughs> and those are the things that I learned working with you, working with Sean, working with Benoit, working with Chavo and Eddie, and, and the list goes on, dude. So learning these things, it's great to be at Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling today and to be able to give back and to teach mm-hmm. these things. Sure. It's things that are missing today. You mentioned the great compliment you got from Undertaker. Did you ever get a compliment from anyone in the, like Vince or Michael Hayes or anyone in Gorilla? Anything that ever stood up for you? After WrestleMania 25, and we were all in the uh, the, the the medic room because they were checking on Taker and stuff. Right. And Vince turned to me and he goes, "Great job," and and that was probably the only compliment I Which got. Which is from pretty Vince. big for Vince. Yeah. He, he doesn't. Like, he doesn't he, give him. He doesn't even mention your names on TV anymore. No, no, <laughs> no. But that's a Kevin Dunn thing, though, man. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. Kevin Dunn. Of thing. course, of but, course. You know, it, it's okay though. Well, you know, but again. I don't need that because for my career now, I think people know who I am, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm cool with that. Yeah. You know, if you remember me, that's cool. If you don't, that's cool too. But if you remember the matches that I was part of, that's even cooler, man. Well, that's the thing. If you think, what's one of the greatest matches ever? So-and-so versus so-and-so. Shawn Michaels versus uh, Jericho on Sanction. Who is the ref? I don't know. That's actually a huge compliment because it shows that, you, like I said, it's a thankless position in a lot of ways, but the best refs are ones that you don't notice. You know, Those are the best refs. One of my favorite matches of all time was a house show we did in Japan. It was you and Steamboat. Ricky's getting a lot of props tonight. Dude, I remember that in Tokyo. Remember though. that? Remember it, Tokyo, dude? Once again, this is when Ricky came back, and I yes. was supposed to have one match with him at the WrestleMania. We had another pay-per-view in Providence. We were Greensboro, South Carolina. Yeah. We were Hawaii. We were Japan. That's a pretty cool freaking tour with Steamboat, one of my all-time heroes. Anyways, go ahead. It was. And, and I remember, who was in the front row there? You went out and chopped the shit out I of him. I think it was actually Takayama. It was. Yeah, it was before Takayama. Before he had his accident. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because I remember you you called it on the fly. And again, calling shit on the fly yeah. and, and just feeling it. Because he was out there pointing to you because you'd made your entrance. He was a huge star in Japan. He was sitting in the front row. Sitting in the front row. And I remember you got into the ring and you said, during the match, I'm going to go f- with him. And I went, okay. So I'm going out, yeah. And he was running his gums and he was pointing at you and stuff and everything. And then he said, let me go. And I let you go. And you went out because Steamboat was down selling. And you went out there, dude, and you started interacting. He pushed you and shit, and you chopped the shit out of him. He tried coming back in. Dude, it was so cool, and it was so spontaneous, man, that that crowd just went berserk, dude. Right, 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 right. And again, calling it on the fly, Well, calling it on the fly, and also, too, another thing is I like to use the ref as the conduit to you're you're like a a Game Game of Thrones raven delivering a message. Because if I'm going to the top rope, and I don't have time to walk over, I'll say, tell him to dropkick me. And you tell him to dropkick me, and I jump yeah. off the top rope. He dropkicks me. You have to use your ref to relay messages as well. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things that, that, that I do to relay messages, especially time cues, and, and this goes back to the magic, and, and, and Houdini said it best, you know, diversion is always the, the greatest form, is that when I'm given time cues and stuff, I, I like to be animated. So if I'm jawjacking with you, come on, what are you doing? Get him out. Five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and right. people are seeing me jaw jack with you and be animated and point at you and stuff but in between that i'm giving you a time cue yeah yeah, yeah. where i'm not just going up and whispering in your yeah, ear which and a lot of refs five to go yeah. you know <laughs> and again it goes back to the magic and, and and knowing how to do this and working that in and knowing how to work and, and, and knowing how to put these things in where they need to be 
without giving away the magic, if that makes sense. Totally. Just briefly describe some of the other duties that you have other than just being in the ring when you're working in WWE. What else does a referee have to do? Ring crew. Ring crew. For the most part, every referee needs to know how to set up a ring. And that's just standard. I learned that from working with Jesse Hernandez when I was handing out flyers, putting flyers on cars, sweeping up the locker rooms, picking up the locker rooms, setting up chairs, and then setting up the rings. And that just followed my whole career going into you know, going to the Indies, going to WWE, going into Lucha Underground, going into AAA, going into Japan with Zero One. And, you know, there's a lot of these things that referees do behind the scenes that nobody really knows. You know, we we set up the ring. We we actually help talent relations with stooge duty, uh, making sure that uh, talent is there for rehearsals, things of that nature. There was times, you know, my gig, I even had to, I was the great Collie's uh, handler for about a year. No kidding. I was his driver and handler. No kidding. I, 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 was, I was the Timmy White to his Andre. Wow. Yeah, so so I had that duty for almost a year when I was a Because you could speak Spanish. Oh, no, he, sorry, he's Indian. I was thinking. Uh, he's Indian. I was thinking Giant Gonzalez. Wow, so you're just driving him around? Driving him around, you know, and <laughs> I, I, I got that duty. And it was funny because Jimmy Corderas had it, and then Scott armstrong had it and then johnny gave it to me and uh yeah paid extra for that what's that Did you get paid extra for that no man okay, I, gotcha. again i just got my hotel and room paid gotcha. for so that was Continue. it which was cool sure which was cool and then again when the boys would find out hey kid i'm staying with you you know <laughs> so, which, was, which so, was cool so johnny asked you to do it johnny asked me to do it and at first i was hesitant to do it because i didn't know the leap but then at first he and i really had a communication barrier because you know he didn't speak english and the fact that I didn't want to pay for gas you know i was getting <laughs> stuck paying all the gas and johnny wasn't reimbursing me you know so one day we were somewhere down in florida i pulled up to a gas station and i f- sat there for almost an hour and he goes we're not moving we're not going i said until you f- pay for gas we're not f- moving and he did and then after that, he and I were good, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I remember I, I, I said, I'll have Kelly and talk as Jericho for 10 minutes just to do it. We ended up talking for like 55 minutes. And once you get into, his, once again, the word of the day, cadence of his speech yeah. and his thick accent, once you kind of get a hold of that, you could talk to him. Yeah. And he told some great stories. And the, the most, still one of my favorite, though, is he was talking about uh, how popular Kitty Cat is in India. And I said, Kitty Cat? No, Kitty Cat. What? Kitty cat. Kitty cat? No, kick cat. Oh, cricket. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Every time I see cricket, I think kitty cat. <laughs> yeah, but Dalip was a character, man. And, and, you know, like he and I really became good friends, you know. Oh, you spent a lot of time together. Yeah, yeah. Too, right? So we were there. And again, he would ask me, Marty, why they do this or why they say this? And yeah, so yeah, I would yeah. break shit down for him, too, right. you know. So, you know, but ultimately, man, he became a good giant. Yeah, 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 he did. He did. And that's the thing, like you said, there's no job too big or too small when you're a ref, no. you know, in a wrestling company because it'd be like, hey, I need to find a, I, I got, uh, I need to talk to, can you find Santana Ortiz for me? So, sure, or you know, now we can text, but still, sometimes you, hey, can you find someone for me? That's yeah, and, and, and that's the thing too, you know, like I tell people, learn production, you know, watch what's happening in production. You know, there, there's been times, you know, where I've had to be a ring announcer. Yeah, I'm not a ring announcer, but I can do it because I've watched, and yeah. I've seen, and I and I see what what it is. So yeah, 
can I ring announce? Can I referee? Can I set up a ring? Can I run production? Absolutely, I can. You know, can I run errands? Absolutely. When, right. we, were, when we were down in Mexico, Timmy White always had me help him escort people because I was bilingual. So whenever we went to the meet and greets at the record stores or the radio stations or whatever, I would translate and stuff. So that helped me a lot too, man. So as a referee, there's a lot of different hats that you can wear, man. And again, I'm glad that I was able to learn a lot of different things because it's given me the longevity. It makes you more valuable. It the does. The more jobs you know, the more valuable. It does. In our, in our crew with Fozzie, it's like Sam, our sound guy, was our tour manager as well. Now he went back to sound, but if we need a tour manager, he can do that. Yeah. He can, you know, the more the things you can do, the better it is. Do you remember when we went to Chile? I think it was that Mexico, Chile, whatever. And Timmy White had to go into the runway of the plane and pay off the government officials. $10,000, bro. But remember all the booze we drank on the plane? <laughs> they wouldn't let us off the ground. It was like someone out of a Godfather movie. Timmy had to go on the on the runway, and the hair, the wind was blowing his hair. He didn't have yeah. a lot of hair, but it was blowing it around and literally paying off the the consulate ten thousand dollars cash for us to be able to take the plane off. Yeah, because they had come and they had stopped us from boarding, and then we finally got to board. But we they held us up so long that we had three three runs of alcohol that we went through, <laughs> and. Like you said, it, it was like almost like one of those desert scenes where you see the mob. Yeah. You know, where uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's somebody standing out like yeah, Breaking 500. Bad. We meet you in the middle of nowhere. Yes. One guy gets out of each car yeah. to do the deal. And, and it was Timmy White who got delegated to go out there with a $10,000 <laughs> check. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. Uh, last couple things. So we talked about kind of refing and then what makes a good ref. Who are some of your favorite all time refs? Uh, Mike Kyoto. Yeah. Mike Kyoto, man. Mike Mike has taught me. And actually, I reconnected with Mike recently, dude. It was good reconnecting with That's him. That's great. Uh, Mike Kyoto taught me a lot. Tommy Young was really good. He showed me a lot. I remember I called Tommy Young out of the blue. I got his number, and I called him, and we talked for four hours. That's awesome. And he told me everything that he ever did with Steamboat and Flair and why he did this and why he did that, how he sold it. And I was like, oh, my God. So I went back, and I watched the shit, and I went, oh, Okay, that makes sense. Timmy White was another great one. Uh, Jimmy Corderas was always great to me. Jimmy Corderas really looked out for me and, and really took care of me and made sure that I was maneuvering correctly amongst the sharks, so to speak. Sure. And, you know, Jack Doan was good to me because he... Yeah, Jack, man. Jack got me on the ring crew and, and really uh, took care of me. And that aspect. Because when you're on the ring crew, you make extra money for that. Absolutely, right? yeah, sure, man. Yeah. And you get your hotel and, and car paid for. Again, <laughs> See, we go back to the hotel and car. We're all carnies at heart here. <laughs> yes, we are. And, and points at, at hotels and, and <laughs> yeah. miles and everything, bro. You know that. So how about some of the modern day refs that you watch? If you see WWE, if you watch Raw, if you watch Dynamite, are there some of the refs that are like, that's a pretty good ref? You know what? I, I really haven't watched a lot of gotcha. today's television like I said, just getting back in the loop of things and stuff, but stuff that I've seen, eh, you know, eh, mm. you know, and it's like, God, man, I wish I could help. God, it's man, a different generation now too, though. It, That's it is. The thing has changed because I know when we first started AW, and we, we've done a lot of growing, but rules were not uh, at a premium, shall we say, in AW at first, and a lot of that they blame the refs, but it's just because the guys were listening, and the ref can only do so much. And finally, so it wasn't the it wasn't the ref to talk to; it was the guys themselves. I remember Penta and uh, and uh, 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 Phoenix. 
I finally said, guys, you have to tag each other. Yeah. Oh, no, I get it. I understand. You're both brilliant, amazing. Can you please, for me, for Uncle CJ, just fucking tag. Yeah. That's all you got to do, man. That's and they, once again, this is three years down the road. All that has gone out the window. But people were blaming the refs. It's not the refs' fault. What am I supposed to do? Just DQ everybody and throw the match? Yeah, out? And, and, and you know the thing, too, and I'm glad you bring up tags because this is something that I, I, I really just harp it at, at Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling is that when somebody's making a tag, you need to make sure they're holding on to the tag rope. If there's a, if yeah. there's a tag rope available and both feet need to be on the apron, oh, that's and you can tag in the hand and you can tag on the back of the shoulder. You can't tag on the head. You can't tag oh, on that's the ass. Okay. Gotcha. So so there's a lot of misconceptions <laughs> about that. So I just want to clarify that. So last couple of questions for you, sure, So what is your uh, overall goal now that you're back into wrestling you mentioned rocky mountain pro you mentioned going to AAA. you want to go full-time into the biz again yeah and you go full-time in the biz on the indies and, absolutely and make it work? i mean i'm 55 years old man it's young i'm still young i know how to do this and i really feel that today chris that i'm looking at it with a different set of eyes and a different mindset and when i was younger i got into it with the expectation of this but today i'm in with the expectation of that mm. and what i mean is that today the expectation for me is giving back being a part of the business and helping the next generation do well because for me when i train people and i i, I tell them i don't want your money i don't want to i don't want anything like that my payment and my success is to see you go main event at AEW or WrestleMania or wherever you're going to go. Right. That's my payment because I can look and go, that's my kid, mm. you know, and just give back to the business that's been so good to me. Has there been some shitty times? Absolutely. But that's life. That's life. That's life, dude. And, you know, the fact that I'm able to, you know, you know, be bros with you and other guys and, and I have your respect and, you know, you have my respect. I mean, the business means more to me today. It really does, man. You don't take it for granted. I don't take it for granted today. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. You know, I, I just see it with different eyes today and a different heart and a different mindset. Did I fuck up and make some mistakes? Absolutely. We all do, man. But I just see it differently. I have a different perspective on it. And if I can work behind the scenes, that's my ultimate goal at any company that, that that's what i'd like to do and again if i got to sweep up the locker rooms i can do that too <laughs> because again you're never too big to do anything in the business man and if it's aew if it's wwe if it's staying with triple a or whatever dude i'm okay with that today you know that's cool man. and i'm just grateful that i'm here last question for you obviously take take her take wrestlemania 25 out of the equation what's your favorite match that you ever refereed besides that one you and Steamboat in Japan. Oh, man. That house show. It's so funny. Like, you have so many matches, and here I am, you know, at 51 wrestling, and, but I forget some of those moments. That was, I remember, I remember that match in Japan, too, which means a lot to me. as Non-televised. Non-televised. I'm not sure, you know, Ricky obviously went to Japan a lot, but I don't know what presence he had. I just remember thinking after that one, the Hawaii one was great, too, but I think that one was even better. And I don't remember why. Why was it so good? We had like 6,000 people at Corican Hall, dude. No, uh, just Sumo Arena. 
No, no, it was, su- it was sumo. Yeah, it was sumo because we did Budokan the next night, yeah. I believe. You know, I, of course, Budokan, Kiss, you know. Um, Cheap trick. Yeah, but just that crowd that night, th- there was just something electric about that crowd, yeah. dude, that they were just, they were there to be entertained, man. And you know how Japanese fans are, dude. Yeah. They, 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 yeah, you know, yeah. really make any noise. But that night... For some reason, dude, they were on fire, man, and you guys fucking brought it. That was a classic, man. It was. Well, dude, it's a blast to talk to you. It's a blast to reconnect. And I'm glad that you're back in the business because I know we've talked about this for years. It's what you always wanted to do, and now you're, you're, you're back and uh, happy about it, and I'm happy about it, too. Thank you so much, man. I, I look forward to working with you again, too. Ah, one of these days. One of these days. Favorite Motley Crue song? Looks to kill. <laughs> I'll go bastard. <laughs> Thanks, dude. All right. Love you, man. Love you too, man.